You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. It is time. It is time. They can't be the Packers. Are you crazy? Listening to Cheese and Packers, a project powered by Packernet Podcast Network. I'm your host, JJ Leahy. Thank you for tuning in today. Unfortunately, my co host, my infant daughter, is not in here right now because she already was down for her nap in the other room when I started recording. I asked mom, I said, Can I take her? She said, No, please don't. It took forever to get her down. So, no baby today. <laughs> um, but I promise, if she wakes up and starts screaming, uh, we'll definitely bring her into the studio and um, let her do her best impression of a Bears fan. Before we get started, a uh, big thank you to Jameis Quintana for hopping on Patreon. Super appreciate your support, Jameis. As of right now, uh, Patreon is actually the best way to reach out to me with questions for the show because I'm taking a Twitter break. Not sure when I'm going to be back. Um, indefinite leave from Twitter. Or you can shoot a voicemail to me at 231-714-4195, or you can text that number as well with questions for the show. Got a question from Nick. He wants to know when the last time the Packers traded a first-round pick for a player was. So the way I read this question, I'm going to um, count out the fact that they traded a first-round pick to move up in the first round to get Jordan Love. Uh, same thing as when they uh, did the pick swap that landed them Darnell Savage. This was the uh, 2018 draft. Also counting out 2017, where they traded their first round pick for a second and a fourth. Fun fact, they basically did the exact same thing in 2008. Traded away their first round pick uh, to get the 20, or 2008 second round pick that they spent on Jordy Nelson and a fourth round pick that eventually was traded away for um, a fourth round pick. So they moved up in the fourth round and they, my gosh, they, this got traded so many times. Jeremy Thompson was the guy that they finally landed. What a cluster. And then, you know, he only played two years in the league. He was out of the league after age 24. Played a total of 15 games for the Packers, and that was it. So uh, sure is a good thing that uh, Jordy Nelson hit, eh? So although the Packers do frequently trade their first-round pick, it's usually to move around and then draft for other picks. And the most recent example I can find of them straight-up trading a first-round pick, plus or minus any other compensation at all, just for a player is Brett Favre, and this was the 1993 uh, number 17 overall draft pick. And actually, uh, that was not even their original draft pick. This was one they had received in a trade from the Eagles. So if you look through all the early 90s uh, draft classes, 
the Packers are always picking at least one, sometimes two players in the first round of the draft. Anyways, despite the fact that they did trade one away for Brett Favre in 1992, uh, they took Terrell Buckley with the fifth overall pick in 92. They gave up uh, pick number 17 overall for Brett Favre. The following year, they had two first-round draft picks in 1993. Fun little trivia tidbit. Um, the Green Bay doctors examined Favre. They did his physical um, after the trade was agreed to, and they diagnosed him with avascular necrosis of the hip, which is the same condition that Bo Jackson had that ended his career. Doctors recommended that his physical be failed, which would nullify the trade. Ron Wolf overruled them and ignored the recommendation. <laughs> the rest is history. All right, the baby is in the room now. She's still sleeping, but she's um, making little noises next to me, so maybe you'll hear him if you're lucky. I want to talk about two things today. I'm going to try and keep the first thing brief. I went through um, and re-evaluated the... 2022 NFL draft um, because I was really curious how my big board stacked up with the actual draft and I was curious who had the best draft and obviously it's hard you know right after the draft you get a bunch of analysts out there who try and grade every team's drafts like the, the, the next day and they're like oh well, this this team gets an F, and uh, it's because I thought they should draft a wide receiver, and they drafted a linebacker. I'll give you two guesses which team that is. Um, <laughs> the uh, the problem, obviously, is you have to go let the players play and find out who's going to be a hit and who's going to be a bust. But short of that happening, there's a couple things we can evaluate. One is I wanted to look at who created value in this draft for themselves, um, based on trades and, um, since there's so many trades, there's a lot that we can look at in terms of, um, how much value you had prior to the draft and then how much value you ended up with at the end of it. And also I thought it'd be interesting to look at how much value each team sunk into their draft picks. So for example, uh, we'll start with the Green Bay Packers. The Packers were 13th overall in terms of how much value they spent on each player. Uh, 11 players drafted total. The average value was an early third-round pick. For comparison, the Rams ranked dead last in that category. They had eight players overall, and they spent the value of a late fifth-round pick to get each player. They didn't have a lot of draft capital, and they didn't come out with a ton of players. Just kind of an average number. Not very flattering. The Jaguars had the most draft capital going into the draft, and therefore ended up spending the most draft capital on each player. So for comparison, if you think about the Packers spent an early third-round pick on average on each player, the Jaguars spent a late first-round pick on each player. That sounds fantastic. It sounds like they got a bunch of great players. The problem is they had so much more capital than anybody else. If you actually look at uh, how much bang for the buck they got, it's not great. They actually lost the most value 
out of any team in the league, including I am I am calculating in here the fact that the Saints burned future picks. All right, the Saints are second worst in the league in terms of how uh, little value they got out of this draft compared to how much they put into it. The Jaguars are number one. The Jaguars, through all of their various moves, they lost the value of a mid-first-round pick, roughly pick 15. And by the way, um, I'm getting these values from the uh, trade chart that we believe the NFL uses. So um, Rams got the least value total out of the draft. Uh, Jaguars got the least value out of it compared to what they put in. One thing that I was really curious about, one of the reasons why I did this was because I wanted to know how good the Bears draft class was because I have gone out there and uh, said a few times that I think that they have a really terrible draft class. So the Bears got 11 players, the same number as the Packers did, and they spent an average of an early fourth round pick on each player. The Giants used the draft picks that they got from the Bears. They got the Bears first round pick and uh, they also drafted 11 players and they spent on average a mid second round pick on each player. So they were they were taking players that were uh, valued about two rounds better than the players that the Bears took. Um, and and the reason they were able to do that is because they had much more draft capital, partly because they got it from the Bears. So the Bears actually lost a or gained a total of five points, which is about the value of a mid sixth rounder uh, through all of their various moves. The Packers, through their trades, lost about 20 points, which is equal to a mid fourth rounder. It's actually uh, identical value to the fourth their first fourth round pick. So um, obviously the, the bulk of that comes from trading up for Christian Watson. My takeaway on the Bears draft class is thanks to Ryan Pace throwing all their draft picks away. They came into this draft with very little capital, and then they did a slightly above average job using that capital. So there were six teams overall who came out of this draft class with less uh, value than the Bears did. So the Bears were seventh worst in league in, in terms of the total amount of talent that they took out of the draft. They were better than the Browns, the Broncos. This is from best to worst. So uh, if they are uh, team number 26, then the Browns are 27. Uh, Broncos, 49ers, makes me happy. Raiders, Dolphins, and then the Rams came out of this with the least player value uh, of the whole league. Now, for fun, I took it two steps further. Uh, one is I compared it against my own big board. So this obviously doesn't tell us how how right the teams were, but it tells us how much they agreed with me, how much their boards agreed with mine. So I adjusted the numbers to account for how much draft capital you had going into the draft. Otherwise, a team like the Lions was automatically going to be number one because they had a bunch of picks, they had a bunch of early picks, and they were able to get the most good players total. All right, so I I uh, adjusted this for how much draft capital you had going in so I could kind of just get a look at, okay, based on where you were, 
compared to everybody else, how much of your resources did you allocate towards taking players who were early on my board compared to players who were late on my board? And in total, there were six players of the entire draft class who were drafted who were not on my big board, just six players. Um, but adjusting for how much draft capital you had going into the draft, imagine that you had the 15th pick. And I said, well, this player is the 10th best player. And he's still there because most draft boards have him a lot lower. But then you take him at pick 15, and I had him at pick 10, and his consensus was like pick 30. Well, just imagine that. That would get you really high on this board because you're reaching for a guy who was high on my board regardless of where he was on somebody else's board and regardless of, of what pick you had. So the Tennessee Titans actually came out the closest, followed by the Colts, the Ravens, and the Panthers. The Lions were 7th, the Bears were 8th, the Vikings were 12th, the Packers were all the way down at 23. The Packers did not agree much with my board. But largely, that was due to them taking Quay Walker with their first pick, and I was quite low on Quay Walker, quite low. And admittedly, part of that was because I did not spend a lot of time on linebackers because I think linebackers are really, really hard to scout pre-draft. So um, I don't typically put a ton of work into that position because I largely assume that time I spend on linebackers is wasted a lot of the time. Um, but I had Quay Walker as my number 111 player. He was taken at pick 22. Uh, Devontae Wyatt, our pick 28, I had him as my 22nd best player. So had we taken him with our first pick, uh, that would have been exactly where I valued him. Uh, so getting him six picks later is good value on my board. Um, the other guy that we took that uh, took the Packers considerably away from my board was I valued Christian Watson as the 85th best player in this draft, and the Packers took him at 34. Outside of that, though, they largely got fantastic value on um, most of the picks according to my board. So Zach Tom I had as the 71st best player. They took him at 140, so I had him as a very early third-round pick. Sean Ryan, I had as a uh, early to mid second rounder at pick 41. They took him at 92. Kingsley and Nagbar is a massive drop here. I had him as number 87. That's a late third rounder. They obviously got him at the back of the fifth round. And then if you look at the seventh round, there's an interesting <laughs> uh, disparity here. So I had Rashid Walker as number uh, player number 102, which would be, what is that, a fourth rounder? They took him at the back of the seventh round. Um, I had Samori Toure as the next best player that we took in the seventh round. I had him as 278. They got him at 258. So I had him just outside of like draftable territory, but um, but still within that giant pool of guys that I'm saying, yeah, if you take him in the seventh round, it makes a lot of sense. John Ford, I had quite low. I had him at 456. They took him at 234. And then Tariq Carpenter was basically not on my board. He was at 563. We took him at 228. Um, and I will just say, so those two linebackers, Quay Walker and Tariq Carpenter, now that we took them, now that I've gone back and rewatched a lot of them, I am very, very excited about those players. Uh, I think that they have a ton of potential to drastically impact our team. So 
um, understand that I'm not looking at this and saying, oh, man, the, the Quay Walker and Tariq Carpenter picks were bad. Um, I, I, I would not have done them personally at those spots. Um, however, looking at this, it, it gives me a lot of information about Quay Walker that I didn't previously have going in. The Packers really like him. They like him um, better than any other linebacker in the draft. He was the first uh, linebacker taken. And they liked him considerably better than his more famous teammate, N'Kobe Dean. So, um, like I said, very excited about him. Um, looks like Quay Walker, Tariq Carpenter, and Christian Watson, I think, are the only guys that were drastically um, outside of where I had them valued. Actually, I skipped Romeo Dobbs. Romeo Dobbs, I was pretty low on. I had him as player 205, and we took him at 132. So he was the uh, fourth furthest off player from my board. Um, And I still feel relatively similar to Dobbs now as I did immediately after the draft, which is um, that I feel like he's a much more polished prospect than Christian Watson. Um, Still some questions in my mind about what his ceiling could be, but the fact that the Packers are so excited about him, the Packer, the fact that Rogers is so high on him does give you a lot to be excited about, but I had him as the 36th receiver in this draft. So we'll see um, those four players that, uh, that I disagreed with at the time. I don't dislike those players. I'm not disappointed that they're on the team. Maybe Christian Watson a little bit, uh, but the other three, certainly not disappointed at all. So to put a bow on all of this, I think there's two different ways that you can look at who had the best and worst draft. The first would be, um, what did you do with the assets that you had? And if we're going by that metric, again, you have to obviously wait and let these players develop and find out who's going to be a good player. But on paper, the Tennessee Titans did the most with what they had. The Jacksonville Jaguars did the least with what they had. And then not adjusting for anything, but just who got the most talent out of this draft. The Houston Texans come in at number one, followed by the Giants, Lions, and Jets. And the Miami Dolphins are dead last, followed by the Rams, Raiders, Broncos, and 49ers. By those numbers, the Green Bay Packers came out with the ninth most talent total. And adjusting for how much capital they had going in, the Packers uh, did underperform slightly just in terms of maximizing their picks. Uh, Again, this largely came from the uh, Christian Watson trade, um, packaging both second rounders to move up in the first round or the second round. Uh, The Green Bay Packers came in at 24 in terms of how much value they created for themselves in this class. I want to talk now about... Um, a couple philosophy questions about the Packers. Uh, and by that, I mean like how the Packers appear to be approaching some different things. We'll kind of center this around the question of are the Packers all in in 2022? Before we do that, a quick word of thank you to our sponsors, and that includes Pristine Auction 
PackerNetAuction.com. They're back on the PackerNet Podcast Network. PristineAuction.com is the most trusted sports memorabilia auction site with an A-plus Better Business Bureau rating. We are teaming up with Pristine Auction once again on another great giveaway. Listeners can win a Jordy Nelson signed football championship trophy. Check out our Twitter page at PackerNet for pictures of this great piece of memorabilia. To win, all you have to do is head to pristineauction.com and click register on the top of the page, or you can follow the link in the podcast description. When you register, use our registration code FARV. Remember to spell that correctly. It's F-A-V-R-E to be entered. And as a bonus, Pristine Auction will kick in $10 off your first winning auction. Every item on pristineauction.com comes with a certificate of authenticity from the industry's most reputable authenticators. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't just misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you. Us Days at U.S. Cellular. Exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Terms apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, I want to kick around a couple of thoughts that have been floating around in my head. Part of this was uh, inspired by a conversation I had with my co-host over on No Huddle Radio for PackersTalk.com, Gil Martin. He and I were chatting before we recorded last week's show about what we think the Packers did in the 2022 offseason, and he kept making the point to me that he felt the Packers were all in this year, which is, as you know, a term that I really kind of despise. I think it's kind of a stupid term, but everybody uses it, so we'll use it. And I was thinking about, well, what would the team look like if they were quote-unquote all in? And, And Gil helpfully defined what he meant by all in as... The Packers know that their window here is closing with Rodgers, and so therefore they are prepared to stink to high heavens for a bunch of years after Rodgers leaves because they're going to not worry about the future, all right? They're going to spend tomorrow's assets today to try and win a championship this year. All right, that's what the Bears did a couple years ago. They're paying for it now, and they didn't win a championship. Um, the uh, Eagles have been bad for a couple years. I think they're finally going to be good again this year. But you know, they really uh, burned the ships and went all in back in what 2017 to win that Super Bowl, and then they had to just gut the roster over the next few years. The Seahawks have had to gut the roster. They don't have any assets. No cap space, no draft picks, all right? 
And for some of these teams, it paid off. All right, the Rams won the Super Bowl this year. Um, there's definitely a large element of luck involved in that. Um, certainly, putting yourself in position to have a great roster, have a great coach, have a quarterback who can get you through the playoffs. You know, the Rams extended their window several years than they really probably should have, and it paid off for them. They did win a Super Bowl. I don't think they were the best team in football last year. I don't think they were close to the best team. I think they were a top 10 team. And then when crunch time came at the very end, they were the team that made the fewest mistakes, and it paid off in a championship form. That's fantastic. Good for them. I, I don't think the process was great, but it worked, so I can't actually really criticize it. Now, the fans... You know, are the L.A. fans going to stick around while the Rams suck for a few years? Debatable. We'll see. But that's beside the point. The question is, is, is the Packer, are the Packers doing that this year? Are they saying, forget the future, we have to win now with Aaron Rodgers? And I will tell you without any question, they did that in 2021. They burned up a lot of future resources in 2021. And I was pretty vocal. I didn't have this podcast last year, but I've been on Twitter. Uh, I've had no huddle radio this whole time. Um, I've been, um, uh, I, I had uh, the Daily Cheese podcast. I don't remember, you know, if I talked about my feelings at that point on how the 2021 offseason went and, and, and the Packers philosophy, but I really hated it. And I was pretty vocal about the fact that I hated it. I'd I really wanted to move on from Zedarius because I didn't think that he was necessary um, in comparison to how much we were paying him. And that was before he got hurt, although I certainly thought that he might get hurt. There were other guys like Billy Turner um, that I didn't want to bring back. I wasn't a big fan of going out and getting Randall Cobb, obviously, but clearly that, you know, that was an investment in bringing their quarterback back. I really hated all the money that we pushed out into the future last year. You know, tacking on four or five void years to the contracts of guys like Adrian Amos, uh, Devondre Campbell, like the second we brought him in the door. Hey, here's this guy, and boom, we're going to throw five void years on his contract. I hated that. And we're paying for all of that this year and next year. But the Packers really believed that they were just a play or two away from going to the Super Bowl at the conclusion of the 2020 season, which I agree with. I think they should have beaten the Buccaneers. I think they were clearly the best team in football in 2020, no doubt in my mind. And obviously there was a tragic end to that season. But the Packers felt like we have enough talent. What we need to do is just run it back, and this time we'll probably make it. And I didn't like that strategy. I felt like there were other ways to put together a winning team without burning future capital. Well, in 2022, the Packers were prepared. They tried to pay Devontae Adams. And this is a, one of the this was one of the sticking points for Gill was that they had tried to pay Devontae Adams. And he's saying, look, that is clear and obvious proof that they were trying to go all in again in 2022. And maybe that was the case. Um, I think that probably had they been able to pay Devontae Adams, in other words, had he just agreed to the terms that they had offered him 
I think you're probably looking at quite a few players not being able to return. Rasul Douglas, Devondre Campbell, Robert Tunyon. I think those are the three big ones. I think Preston Smith probably is in that category. Do they find a way to keep one or two of those guys? Yeah, probably. Um, but there's no question that there are guys that we kept that we otherwise would not have kept because we wouldn't have been able to. And then once Devontae was gone, the immediate question in my mind is, well, if they actually are in this quote-unquote all-in mode, why wouldn't you go trade a draft pick or a couple draft picks for some wide receivers? There are affordable wide receivers out there that you could make a sweet enough offer to a team to go get these guys. Never mind the fact that they did not trade up in the draft to go get a guy like Drake London or Garrett Wilson who can come in and help you right away. Never mind that, okay, so maybe a guy like Jamar Chase, the Bengals probably are not going to part with, but would they part with T. Higgins? Absolutely. How much does T. Higgins cost uh, the Packers? Would they have to give up a first-round pick to go get him? Mm, they might but then they could afford to only pay him $2.1 million per year for the next uh, couple of years here. He's a, um, a free agent in 2024, all right? You give up a first-round pick to go get him. You have a dirt-cheap, good wide receiver who's under contract with you for uh, the next two years. And if we're thinking that our window with Rodgers is only about two years, doesn't that make perfect sense to try and do that? Who else could, go, could they go get? Uh, Elijah Moore, 2.2 million bucks a year. Michael Pittman, 2.1. Trying to see who else are some, uh, some dudes who are really cheap that weren't this year draft picks. Obviously, Kadarius Tony is out there, Jalen Rager. All right, these are some high upside, high risk guys that you could have gone after. Uh, let's see. Eagles wouldn't part with Devontae Smith. Obviously, Julio Jones was out there. They could have uh, paid him more than $6 bucks a year, which is what he agreed to with the Buccaneers. Uh, Marvin Jones signed with the, with the Jaguars. Uh, his total contract is only $9 million guaranteed. It's only $6.2 million for this year. That's an option. Um, who else could you have spent a draft pick on? Tyler Boyd is kind of pricey per year. He's ten million bucks a year. I wouldn't have done that. Um, but there's there's some options here. I've, I've listed at least three or four guys who do make a lot of sense. Or you could trade up earlier in the draft. Um, you know, spend a a second round pick to move up with one of your first round picks and go get one of those earlier wide receivers if that's actually your priority. And the Packers did none of that. They didn't even give any hints that that was something they were considering. Or how about an added treasure? How about keeping Zadaria Smith? Still an option. Was he ridiculously expensive? Yeah. But you could have made it work if you were willing to continue burning future years' money. I've gone through the contract 100 times. You can do that. You can heavily backload his contract and start paying out money that belongs to 2024, 2025, and so on. Packers didn't do that. They are trying to preserve as much 
as they can of their resources for the future. Now, they didn't do that in 2021. In 2021, they did burn the ships. In 2021, they said, hang the cost, forget future camp space. We're going all in because we think we're going to win a Super Bowl this year. As a result, they didn't have the money this year to keep some guys that they really would have liked to, including we know they did want to keep Zedarius. Once they realized that they were not going to be able to keep Devontae and they got the draft compensation that made it worth it to them, it seems to me that they pretty intentionally did build for the future, not for this year. All right, Devontae Wyatt, he's the bonus player that we got from the Devontae trade, not not Quay Walker, because the fact that they took Quay Walker where they did, and even though Devontae Wyatt was available, means that had he been available at pick 28, Quay Walker would have been the pick at 28, and then there's no Devontae Wyatt. And they liked both guys better than any of the wide receiver options available, including Tristan Watson, although they did want to trade up and take Watson at the back of the first round, we know. But Devontae Wyatt is definitely not a pick for this year. He does not improve the team this year. I would even say he's probably not one of your star players for next year. Quay Walker, yeah, that probably is a pick for right now. It sure seems like Rich Bisaccia, not Rich Bisaccia, Joe Barry told Brian Gutekunst, hey, you want my defense to be everything that it's supposed to be? This is the missing piece that I need. I need a second linebacker in order to make my defense work. I think Quay Walker was a this year pick. And a lot of the time, their first round pick is C. Eric Stokes. Brian Gutekunst mentioned during the draft that they had a a much higher value on the late round picks from this year than they have in typical years. And he attributed that to uh, the extra year of COVID eligibility, um, guys being held back in in uh, college football an extra year due to the pandemic. So you're getting these little bit more developed guys. You look at a guy like Rashid Walker, uh, a guy like Samori Toure, probably you would say if they are a typical seventh round pick, they don't really warrant a roster spot this year. Not in a year when we had 11 draft picks, but Goody had 10 draft picks and traded back in the fifth round just to gain an 11th seventh rounder. All right. He really likes these young guys and he is spending the last resource that he has, which is draft picks on the future and then backing that up by doubling down and keeping those guys on the 53 to make sure that he doesn't lose any of them. All 11 draft picks made the 53. They typically do under Brian Goodkunst, but a lot of, I would say the vast majority of Packers commentators and analysts this year said they didn't think all of the seventh rounders would be on the roster. Um, you had people speculating about even earlier picks, uh, one of my friends even said that he didn't think that Sean Ryan was going to be on the roster as a third rounder this year. Heck, I didn't have John Ford or uh, Samori Toure on my 53. But guys like Jack Heflin, Jawan Winfrey, Ladarius Hamilton, all right, proven guys who we know what they are worth, did not make the roster 
in favor of some of these guys that Goody views as high upside guys. All right, and I'm looking at uh, Samori Toure and Rashid Walker in particular as guys who I think do have extremely high ceilings, and right now they are probably sitting at their extremely low floors. But Goody is doubling down on, I'm going to stick with these guys that I put a lot of work into scouting that I really believe are a good fit for our organization, are extremely high potential, hardworking young players. He's building for the future. This is what Goody always does is he prepares to compete right now, this year, but also build for the future. That's why I didn't like last year very much because I viewed the moves that they made last year as borrowing from the future to make today better. And then the fact that it ended up not working kind of made the whole thing all that much more painful. You look at how they did the contracts this year. They weren't tacking on any of those uh, those void years anymore. They are um, not continuing to push money down the road and kick the can down the road. They are not giving away draft picks. In fact, they are continuing to add draft picks, uh, trading away Cole Van Lannan for, what was it, a sixth-round pick? Seventh-round pick. Another philosophy thing I wanted to take a look at was the emphasis on special teams. I wanted to look at who all on the roster we think are here solely because of special teams contributions. And obviously I'm not going to include Jack Coco, Mason Crosby, or Pat O'Donnell because I'm not an idiot. Uh, But Keyshawn Nixon, I think, is largely a special teamer. Um, I certainly think that he provides value on defense as a depth corner. I think that he's um, actually pretty darn good in the slot, at least in the limited bit that we've been able to see him. We have three safeties who I think are exclusively special teamers, pretty much. you got Tariq Carpenter, Dallin Levitt, and Rudy Ford. And they did say Rudy Ford is going to play on defense. I don't think Tariq Carpenter and Dallin Levitt are going to play on defense very much. Certainly not enough to warrant a roster spot, but they are special teamers. Rudy Ford is our one of our gunners. Um, Chris Barnes and Isaiah McDuffie, are they going to get playing time this year? Yes, uh, hopefully not much because hopefully Devondre and Quay are both healthy and the Packers really don't run a lot of three linebacker sets. But Chris Barnes and Isaiah McDuffie are going to be very active special teamers. John Ford is a tricky one because I've been saying all along that the only value I see that he um, had in college was as a uh, blocker on kicks, on uh, uh, field goals and extra points. Absolutely no athleticism and not really any good college tape, but he was very good as a blocker, and obviously that's a need for us. The thing I have a hard time with is he only did it twice in the preseason, so I'm not really sure you know, what the plan is with him there. Like, we, we attempted more than just two kicks, and he only blocked on two kicks. So I'm not really sure. I, I just, I don't know. They were trying to make him work on defense in the preseason, and he was about as good there as he was in college. And then he still got a spot on 53. Um, so I, I just, when it comes to Jonathan Ford, I just have a lot of questions and still not very many answers. Rasheed Walker, I think you can probably expect to play on special teams. Tyler Davis. The much maligned, very much hated <laughs> fourth tight end on our roster. Uh, I think we would all all say 
whether or not you think that he will play on offense, I think we all don't want him to play on offense. But he is a standout special teams player. That's why he's on the roster. And as far as why we didn't keep a third running back, it sure seems like the answer is none of the running backs that we had in camp showed enough on special teams to warrant a roster spot. That appears to be it. So are the Packers putting their money where their mouth is when it comes to uh, special teams contributors? Well, I'd say uh, Tyler Davis, um, Isaiah McDuffie, Tyler or uh, uh, Jonathan Ford, Rudy Ford, Dallin Levitt, Tariq Carpenter. All right. There's a couple guys that you could maybe throw on the list as well, like a Keyshawn Nixon um, or Samori Toure or or uh, Rashid Walker. But I think I got six names right there that sure seem to me to be full-time special teamers plus your three specialists. So if you got 50 jobs on the roster that are not specialists – to take up six of them with full-time special teamers, that seems to me to be a much, much bigger emphasis than we have seen in a very long time from the Packers on trying to um, add talented guys to the special teams. You know, I think back to Trevor Davis and Tyler Irvin, guys who were special teams aces for us, and the Packers moved on from them because they couldn't provide enough value to the offense or defense. And that seems to be a, a bygone mentality that they're no longer espousing in Green Bay, which I'm glad about. The last thing I want to touch on before we wrap up is my thoughts on the bottom couple uh, practice squad spots. So we did make it official. Uh, Ramiz Ahmed is our... Backup kicker, we'll have to see if he um, is elevated and starts week one or not, or if Mason Crosby will be back. Will be back. Um, but looking across the whole practice squad, um, outside of like backup punter and backup long snapper, we do now have a backup at every single position who is on the practice squad. Um, there are one, two, three, four, five spots where we have two guys. Running back wide receiver, defensive tackle, outside linebacker, and cornerback. And for a hot minute, we had three cornerbacks and no uh, safeties. And the second that they cut Rico Gafford, I heard a bunch of people just exclaiming about, what, Rico Gafford? Why would you cut Rico Gafford? That's crazy. I said, it's not crazy. They have three cornerbacks. On the practice squad, they don't need three cornerbacks. All right, they liked uh, Benji Franklin, who they got from, I believe, the Jaguars, well enough to stash him there. All right, he's a guy who Goody clearly liked in the draft and uh, liked better than uh, you know any of the guys that he had here. Liked better than Rico. Now, does that mean that you know he thinks that uh, Benji is clearly visibly? more talented than Rico. I don't know that we can conclusively say that, but I think that we can clearly say he feels like he has seen enough from Rico Gafford to get an idea of what kind of player he is and to figure out that, nope, this guy is not worth continuing to burn a practice squad spot on. Let's cycle him out 
and get somebody else in there and start working with them. Kind of the way we have done with a bunch of other guys that we've developed. Uh, uh, Yash Nyman, Juwan Winfrey, all right, guys who, uh, Tipa, Tipa Nalii, all right, guys who were once practice squatters, uh, Alan Lazard, who now are actual full-time contributors. And in the case of Lazard, a starter. So looking across the rest of the practice squad, I would imagine there's going to be some other guys that they cycle out in favor of bringing in somebody they haven't seen. And unless you're going to do a one-for-one swap, like bringing in a tight end and therefore releasing Sean Byer, your current practice squad tight end, I think we should look at some of the guys who have been here the longest at some of the positions where we have two guys and say, you know what, despite what we have seen from you in training camp in the preseason, there might be a chance that you're out of here. So I think Patrick Taylor is probably high on the list of guys who would be in danger of losing a practice squad spot in favor of bringing in another player at any position to start practicing with and working out to see if you can develop something. I think Jack Heflin maybe falls into that camp a little bit. The Packers were willing to waive him and risk him getting claimed in favor of keeping John Ford. And they have six D tackles on the active roster and they have a second D tackle on the practice squad, Chris Slayton, who has not been around for as long as Jack Heflin. So despite the fact that we as fans and me as a fanalist really like Jack Heflin and think that maybe he could have actual contributions on defense. The Packers didn't consider him one of their six best D linemen. And they got a guy in Chris Slate that they want to see what they can develop into. So I think Jack Heflin is maybe at risk. Uh, Ladarius Hamilton has been around for a little while. I think Ladarius is probably safer than either of the guys I've mentioned so far. Uh, I think that, you know, the the Packers clearly like him a lot. Goody claimed him off of the Buccaneers practice squad last year and had to give him an active roster spot right away. Um, But looking elsewhere on the roster, I think they're going to just roll with two cornerbacks. All right, if they get rid of Keandre Thomas or Benji Franklin, I would expect them to bring in another cornerback to replace them. And I think if I had to guess... I think Keandre Thomas really is our sixth cornerback. And they're just waiting for, you know, break glass in case of emergency. If we are down a guy from injury, Keandre gets the call. I think that that is probably a fair way to look at Keandre Thomas. Probably also a fair way to look at Micah Abernathy, our safety. But there's other guys on the practice squad who I don't think are really viewed that way. One guy who um, maybe exists in sort of a limbo state would be Juwan Winfrey in terms of do we think that he could come in and get actual playing time if we start experiencing some injuries? Yes. But do we think that we've already seen what his ceiling is? I think also yes. So if you can find another wide receiver who you think um, has a higher ceiling than Juwan, I would say Juwan probably is at risk of getting cut. Now, at that same position, Travis Fulgham is sitting right there. I don't know about you. I would 
cut Travis Fulgham in favor of a new wide receiver before I cut Juwan Winfrey. But we also don't know how Goody feels about Fulgham's ceiling versus Winfrey's ceiling. So those are some of the uh, guys that I would say I'm kind of on cut alert on the practice squad. Um, Really specifically those guys who we have multiple of on the practice squad um, and have been around for a little while. So uh, Patrick Taylor, I would say probably top of my list of guys to – uh, I mean, if they, if they bring in another guy at any position, my guess is it's Patrick Taylor or Travis Fulgham getting the cut first. That's all I got for you today. I'm going to get out of here. Thank you for listening. Again, send me uh, texts, send me voicemails that we can play on the show and answer. The number for that is 231-714-4195. If you like what I do here and you want to jo- uh, join guys like Jameis, who hopped on uh, Patreon and started uh, supporting me, it's patreon.com slash JJ Leahy. I will tell you it makes it easier to justify to the wife <laughs> the amount of time that I spend uh, preparing for the podcast each week. All right, I'll talk to you guys next week. Have a good one. Bye-bye. taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com